Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 28th of March 2011. I always get the boring stuff out of the way at the beginning of the show and that is to tell newcomers that you should look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com website and help yourself to the audios which are available for download for free uh, and just hundreds to choose from. I try and give you shortcuts to understanding this big system into which you're born and to show you that you're living through a script, a big business plan, uh, really run through the United Nations by thousands of organizations working with governments and business, big international business, to bring in their beautiful new world order utopia. And uh, there's so much to it, of course, but you have to work your way through all these audios and go through the books I suggest you, you read from the big boys themselves, and that way you don't get confused by the media, which is not there to inform you. It, well, it can inform you in a certain sense, and it's not never really with enough truth, that's for sure. And it's really out there, too, to keep you busy with trivia and scary stories and so on until you just pack in, your mind closes down, and you're, you're being led by their suggestions and by the experts, too. Now, Remember, too, you're the audience that bring me to you so you can buy the books and discs I've got for sale on CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. And from the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check or an international postal money order. You can use PayPal or cash. You'll find on the, the site there's a PayPal button. Just uh, send it off and follow it by an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Across the rest of the world, you can use uh, Western Union or MoneyGram. Some people send cash. And you can also use PayPal again. Use the donation button, follow it with an email, with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. Remember, two straight donations are certainly welcome because it costs an awful lot of cash to keep this thing going here. Now, this New World Order has been on the books for an awful long time, and you'll find even philosophers in the, in the 18th century talking about bringing in this wonderful system where experts and intelligent people would guide the whole planet uh, in an international system, in fact. And out of that was born eventually the, the Marxist idea of international communism. That was one form, and other ones were variations of the same thing, basically. And, of course, we know, too, that the, the Marxian philosophy was picked up by academia and given authorization by their own governments to promote it. That's a fact in the Western world. And also the, um, the bankers were all behind it because it's far easier for bankers to work directly with governments for debts uh, than to go to individuals door to door like they used to do in the old days, by the way, and try to collect money owed. And that was a deal the kings had at one time uh, with the, the money lenders. They would borrow cash from the money lenders, and the money lenders had uh, the personal right to go door to door through the citizenry and collect uh, taxes. So it's far better for banks to go right to the government, get them to borrow cash, and put you all down, basically, as the collateral for that uh, payment, and your children, and your great-grandchildren, if any, or any have any, any more these days. 
And that basically is a nutshell. However, they have uh, a big, big plan to depopulate, to uh, bring the, the world back into a, a, basically a 1700s standard of um, pristine beauty, as they call it, with forests and wild animals being reintroduced into the wilds, even the predator class in America and elsewhere. And that's all part of this big business plan for a vastly reduced population. And they hope to bring the population down drastically now, let Rockefeller call for himself, not just uh, through abortions and birth control, but he's, he's stepped it up and he says we must bring down uh, the population through radical means, radical depopulation. And we're living through lots of that. You just don't know it yet. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix and... I've spoken many times about Professor Carl Quigley, who wrote a book called Tragedy and Hope, and he also wrote another book called The Anglo-American Establishment, where he outlined this big world plan on behalf of the company that basically ran the world and was was taking over bigger chunks of it. And it was called the Royal Institute, Institute of International Affairs, and in America it was called the Council on Foreign Relations. And it's still on the go today, big time, and it really places its own members within government, some already in government, and bureaucracy, by the way, at the federal level especially, are approached. You can't just apply to join it. They will approach you after really observing you for a long time to see if you can keep secrets, keep quiet, play a kind of double life to the public. And Quigley also mentioned, too, that every president and prime minister in the Western world, including Australia too, I should say, and in New Zealand, of course, part of the British Commonwealth countries, um, every prime minister they'd had since, uh, and, and president since the late 1800s had been a member of this group, even before they gave it its present title. They had different names in previous centuries. Now, he knew this because he was the official historian for the group, and he also taught at Georgetown University. He taught people going into the diplomatic corps for the United States. He taught, uh, in, uh, he taught congressional members, too, at high-level meetings about other cultures and their histories and so on. So he was well-placed up there, and he made no bones about it. He thought it was a great idea to take the world over and run it with academia and scientists and specialists at the top instead of democracy. A democracy was too cumbersome. It had to go. It was, uh, people don't like having their, their systems changed. They get used to a system. You can even get used to a, a really bad system. Uh, anything which is familiar to you is, is something that becomes normal to you and you resist change. So they decided that uh, democracy had too many folk arguing when they wanted to get their big changes through, like taking the land off people and stuff like that. So they simply introduced a new type of system, very much like the Marxist system. That's why often the Council on Foreign Relations and the Rockefellers, that are all part of this big world system, uh, were funding through their foundations all left-wing societies. And that came out at the Rees Commission. Uh, sponsored or directed by the U.S. Congress to find out why these foundations were dishing out millions of dollars every year to left-wing agencies within their own countries. And they were told by the heads of the Ford, Carnegie and Rockefeller Foundation their job was to blend the Soviet-style system with the West so that eventually 
um, the VS1. Uh, in other words, you, you would still have an appearance of having the old system, but through the schooling systems and the bureaucracies and so on that become more authoritarian as time went on, you would really be the same kind of Sovietized system. And private organizations were to come in, unelected organizations on a massive scale, uh, to be the new Soviet. Soviet means ruled by councils. And this is what you have today. You have all these massive councils advising governments, and you don't elect them at all. Uh, so democracy was bypassed a long time ago in actual effect. All it means now is you have to vote to whoever they present in front of you, uh, just like they did in, in the Soviet system. Uh, Politburo 1, 2, 3, or 4 didn't matter. Uh, because it was all the Politburo, and that's what you have today is Council on Foreign Relations 1, 2, 3, or 4. And the same in Britain and elsewhere too. So that's really how we have been for a long time, and as I say, they have their big, biz- big business plans. Now, the Council on Foreign Relations also published their own website out there. They also published the, the Foreign Affairs magazine, which uh, will give you the future. They tell you the future. They have thousands of staff and think tanks. And they're all over the world now. They've got them in India, elsewhere. And they basically advise governments on the way to go. And many of these circles, like the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations Mix, many of their members are also in other circles and big think tanks, which also advise governments from other directions. So they're into everything, including the coming food shortages. They've had been working on that for the last 15, 16 years, just one small department there for about 1,000 people. Uh, and they have other thousands of peoples in other departments working on every other facet of the world that they're bringing into being. And that's why nothing changes when you vote one guy out. In democracy, you don't really vote new people in. You're so sick of the old ones, you vote them out. And you, they just simply replace you with the same thing uh, under different guys. And um, they, they never toss out the old agreements. They never tear up old treaties. They simply go, go ahead with more and more treaties with the United Nations until the UN technically is running the whole show, at least on the face of it, because in actuality the United Nations was started up by the Council on Foreign Relations and is obedient to the CFR, which in turn is obedient to a much higher organization than themselves. Now, on the CFR's website, you only put this up tonight at cuttingthroughthematrix.com, they have this little piece on their invasion of uh, uh, Libya, because under their charter, the United Nations are not supposed to invade countries. So here's their double speak. It's a dilemma of humanitarian intervention by the Council on Foreign Relations. And if you scroll down, they go into responsibility versus sovereignty, right? Big sticking point with the U.S. because the people want to believe they're still sovereign, even though they've been fighting wars across the world for the last 50-odd years, but not for themselves. And it says here, uh, the United Nations formed in the aftermath of World War II, and listen to this, to promote peace and stability. We've had more wars under them since uh, the previous centuries combined. And it says, recognizes the importance of sovereignty, especially for newly independent nations or those seeking independence from colonizers. Now it says, the UN Charter says, and I read a part of this last week because Gaddafi himself brought up at the United Nations a few years ago, The UN Charter says nothing contained in the present Charter shall authorize the United Nations to intervene in matters which are essentially within the domestic jurisdiction of any state. Any state, they mean mean country, don't mean colony nations, you see. And um, that should be that, right? But then the CFR go on with how they uh, approach this, uh, being lawyers and everything. It says the principle does not rule out 
the application of enforcement measures in case of a threat to peace, a breach of peace, or acts of aggression on the part of the state. So it doesn't rule it out. So in other words, because they haven't said this little piece they've added on to it by themselves, doesn't say that, then technically you can go in there, you see. But also, remember, that means, too, the UN can go into any of your sovereign states now. That's a precedent, whether you like it or not. And it says here, the Genocide Convention of 1948 also overrode the non-intervention principle to lay down the commitment of the world community. What is the world community? Is that like the general public? What is the general public? Do you know that's such a legal term, the general public? Or like the masses, you know. Suddenly you have this um, world community to prevent and punish. Have you ever voted for the world community? Has anybody ever asked you to vote or asked your opinion on it or anything else? No. Yet in action in response to the Rwanda genocide in 1994 and failure to halt the 1995 uh, Srebrenica massacre in Bosnia highlight the complexities of international responses to crimes against humanity. So in other words, they can, they can say it's a crime when it suits them and it's not a crime when it doesn't suit them. And basically that's it. So you understand these guys are lawless. You understand if you don't go by the letter of their own laws and agreements, then they're lawless. You can't either change it when it suits you uh, and uh, add tack words onto it, even though it's not technically tacked on. It's still the same charter. Uh, if you go your own way, it's still lawless. And we know it's lawlessness and it's plunder. But then again, you see, they have their big long-term business plans for the whole world of interdependence, you understand. And that means that everyone must have this fake d- democracy uh, with well-paid uh, people, of course, who, who will love it. The ones who are well-paid love the Soviet system too. And they will make sure you all follow the dictates that come out of their mouths and and they'll have this wonderful world. You understand, that's why the bankers and the big boys like the Sovietized type system. They love China because the dictate comes down from the top and everyone simply obeys. There's no comeback or, or, or voting on it. It's just that's the order and that's it. That's what you do. You jump to it. In 2000, it says the Canadian government and several other actors, he called actors on the world stage now, announced the establishment of the International Commission on Intervention in State Sovereignty uh, to address the challenge of the international community's responsibility. Now, again, this is one, this international community idea is something that a small group of people dreamed up, didn't ask the general populations of any country to, to vote on it, and they simply made another club, much like the G20, you see. So that's what they mean by the international community. Responsible to act in the face of the gravest of human rights violations while respecting the sovereignty of states. It sought to bridge these two concepts with the 2001 Responsibility to Protect report. And the PDF is available from the site. I'll put up at cuttingtremage.com at the end of this tonight. A year later, the co-chairs of the commission, Gareth Evans of the International Crisis Group, and Algerian diplomat Mohamed Sanoun wrote in Foreign Affairs, if the international community is to respond to this challenge, the whole debate must be turned on its head. The issue must be reframed, not as an argument about the right to intervene, but about the responsibility to protect. So you can, again, their double wording, their Orwellian speak, um, right to intervene, and they can't intervene, so they would never have a responsibility to protect. This give it to them themselves when, they, when it suits them. So this is how they double speak their way through. You're going to understand when you're in a lawless system, and it's got to be lawless because these guys keep changing it as they go through their big business plan for the world. They have to break their own rules to get it through. 
You try doing that at the bottom and you'll be in the slammer before you know it. But these guys are pretty well lawless because they have big 50-year plans, 100-year plans, 150-year plans on different projects to fulfill. And they can't do it with this idea of, of being responsible to the public at the same time. Margaret Thatcher said the same thing. When she left politics, she said, I now belong to the parallel government, the same term that Quigley used and others have used. The parallel government is, consists of ex-prime ministers, ex-presidents, and top uh, diplomats who all know each other. And they are not responsible to the public now that they're private, this private organization, because the CFR and the Royal of International Affairs are private institutions. Back with more after this. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. I'll also put up tonight a, a link to Libya's great man-made river project where they show you this huge massive river that was constructed uh, through Libya uh, under Gaddafi uh, without borrowing a penny from the International Monetary Fund or the World Bank or any foreign lender, by the way. And it's a massive uh, thing, beautiful too. And nice pictures you see and all the rest of it. However, it's brought water to all the agricultural, the present agricultural areas. And yet they played it down in the West. It says the 1st of September marks the anniversary of the opening of the major stage of Libya's great man-made river project. This incredibly huge and successful water scheme is virtually unknown in the West, yet it rivals and even surpasses all our greatest development projects. The leader of the so-called advanced countries, the United States of America, cannot bring itself to acknowledge Libya's great man-made river. The West refuses to recognize that a small country with a population no more than 4 million can construct anything so large without borrowing a single cent from the international banks. And I'll put that up for you to look at yourself. And it's true, it's a massive underground aquifer and so on they have there. And they brought water to the surface and really made the parts of the, the, their desert certainly bloom. But uh, we're not supposed to think about that. We're supposed to think about a nasty man who obviously was mal, uh, mistreating his people. And we know for a fact, as I say, that the West has sent infiltrators in there, uh, professionals, of course, agitators, as have done elsewhere. We even have um, uh, people in the West talking about the revolutions uh, up on YouTube, giving talks about the coming revolutions. We've had the New American Century with their list of countries they want to take down. I'll put them up last week again. And you'll find them at cuttingthroughthemedias.com, the links. And you'll, you'll also find the, the guys who made the speeches on how it was to be done and so on. And the order in which they were to take out these particular countries. So we're living through again the big business plan. Because you see, uh, this uh, world system has to have a united Africa, an African state, so united Arab states, all of them. Which will all be fronts, of course, with their own people put in there. And just like they've got with the European Union, which is not a democratic institution by any means at all, and they're going full steam ahead, still with amalgamation of the Americas. If you haven't noticed, uh, since 2001, uh, there have been articles in the paper talking about Fortress America and how this will help to integrate uh, the Americas even quicker uh, through security and the fear of terrorism and so on. Again, all from the Council on Foreign Relations, and they're already sharing all their data uh, these countries with each other, the, the U.S., Canada, Mexico, 
and they use the same computer systems and all their citizenry, their interests, they're, sw- they're basically swapping all data, instant access if you're from Canada and you work with CSIS and instant access if you work for the FBI in the U.S. So it's all a done deal, basically. And they've got to keep the, the pretense up that we're still independent nations while we pay for the last few countries to be bombed and forced into submission into this thing called democracy, something that's been very elusive and we can't quite get it ourselves, but it'll do, the term will do until they bring out the new world system of this total abeyance, you see, and that's what's to come in the future. Now, Cass Sunstein is uh, quite the character. He's up in office with Obama, and um, he, he specializes really in neuroscience and mass psychology, how to get the masses to accept things. And they studied animals, of course, years ago. That's why so many went into zoology. H.G. Wells sent his own son into studying zoology. First, he sent, actually left him in the Soviet uh, system, took him over for a holiday, a visit, and uh, he left him with uh, the people who admired the most, the ones who were using dogs and so on, and children to see if they could salivate on command and stuff like that. And, and his son eventually came over and taught at United uh, to uh, New York University. But anyway, Sunstein is very similar to that. Through anything they can do, an anim- do to an animal and teach an animal, you see, they can then use on humans. That's what they truly believe. And unfortunately, uh, it, it tends to work. Uh, they're very, very thorough. Science is at an incredible level right now of understanding. We've been through Bernays and his techniques too. He also knew this stuff in the early 1900s, and they also knew it obviously in certain societies in the 1800s because someone taught Bernays, and he gave America its consumerist society. He got women to smoke, for instance. He knew how to use the media and the moving pictures, as he called it, to entice people to emulate what they saw on the screen. Now, Sunstein is very similar to that, only, uh, again, uh, more modern. He, he knows even more stuff on how to get people to behave, change their habits, and so on. Because we're now in behavior modification. The whole world and the whole Western world is under behavior modification. If you haven't realized it, uh, uh, the children of today are behaving vastly different from the children of even 1960, as they in turn were different from those in 1930 or 40. It's a step-by-step process of what was called a contamination by the Soviet system, as it would contaminate cultures through the generations until anything goes. And literally anything today does go, really does go. You've handed your children over to them in the school system, which is more, inter- more, more interested in their sex life at 10 or 9 than they are about anything else. It's social engineering. And most folk, because they're contaminated adults, the parents don't really care too much. Now, here's Sunstein here. And to show you the way that they're, they're using um, climate change, he admits that in this particular article here, that this would help uh, redistribute the wealth across the world. And it says, uh, Sunstein and Posner, that's a guy he worked with, further speculate about the possibility of achieving this redistribution of wealth, you see, by means other than direct payments. They're cunning sods, these, aren't they? Really cunning, really. It is even possible that desirable redistribution is more likely to occur through climate change policy than otherwise, or to be accomplished more effectively through climate policy than through direct foreign aid. See, before we could do it through foreign aid, now it's through climate policy. Back with more after this. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. 
Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and Sunstein is talking about uh, basically redistribution of wealth, which again is another plank of the Communist Manifesto, and Sunstein, of course, is basically the new type of Marxist. It's never really changed, it's world Marxism, kind of Trotskyite type too, and they, do, they don't uh, put out, rule out uh, private corporations in bed with them, they're really corporate Marxists, you might call them. But they all agree, you see, that specialists and experts should rule the world. But he says here, if the United States agrees to participate in a climate change agreement on terms that are not in the nation's interest, but that help the world as a whole, there would be no reason for complaint, certainly if such participation is more helpful to poor nations than conventional foreign aid alternatives. If we care about social welfare, we should approve of a situation in which a wealthy nation is willing to engage in a degree of self-sacrifice when the world benefits more than that nation loses. And that's why you've got mass unemployment across you know, the so-called civilized world, because you see these same boys through their international agreements, the United Nations and the World Trade Organization, another private organization, by the way, signed you all down to lose all your factories and so on, and to actually encourage and pay for us for your tax money the transplanting of all those jobs and factories over to China. Along to, well, it's now quite a long time ago. It was done so slickly, most folk hardly even noticed. The same goods appeared in the store, just said made in China, and most again didn't think anything of it. At least those were still left working. But you see, this is a world system you're living in. Everything that happens is on schedule. Every major event is on schedule. The whole idea of privatizing the world's water is, has been going on for years now. They started before the public even heard of this 30 years beforehand, and it's all sewn up. And I've got so many articles on that, even with Canada. Uh, it's, it's quite amazing. But Sunstein himself really works on ways through government to get you to alter your way of perceiving things, you see, so that you perceive them in the way that he wants you to perceive them. He's a, a mind manipulator, and that really is his job, you see. Because, you see, at the bottom, we're supposed to be just animals and we can't think for ourselves. We're not too bright. We're not uh, specially uh, intelligent. And therefore, we need people like him to, to goad us and prompt us along the right paths of the great business plan of the world. And I'll put that link up tonight myself at cuttingthroughmatrix.com. Now, there's a few callers. There's Kyle from Philadelphia on the line. I'll see if Kyle is there. Are you there, Kyle? Alan, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad, not too bad. Yeah. Um, one thing that I noticed about, you know, just the general population that really staggers me is how they lie to themselves and let themselves, they're their own manipulation. Like, mm-hmm. somebody can be watching three hours of, you know, fiction on TV, and then yep. all of a sudden it becomes 11 o'clock, and they tell themselves, okay, even though I just spent three hours watching fiction, now, because it's 11 o'clock and the news is on, this is all for real. This is mm-hmm. all the truth. Yep. And that, that sense of just never questioning and never looking deeper or reading a book like Carol Quigley's Tragedy and Hope, it doesn't mm-hmm. occur to them. Yeah. You're absolutely right, because it, it takes the consent of the dominated, the ruled, to make any plan work, you see. 
And Moore spoke, again, as Sunstein talks about that himself, that uh, you can actually create consent amongst the people because most people go along with everybody else in the population. So if the the majority are moving one way, uh, they'll join them, even though they don't even know what the topic's about. They'll just say, yeah, your opinion's now my opinion because it's too difficult to think it out for myself or they're too lazy to think it out for themselves. But the group pressure is is tremendously important in this this technique of getting folk to comply with, with the changes that are already planned and now being implemented on the general population. You have to consent to everything yourself, and that's the key. It doesn't matter how intelligent you are or even how dumbed down the society is. Everything comes down eventually to a, a personal choice. Even when your antenna goes up and you say, there's something wrong with this news, this what they're doing, there's something wrong. And this was also explained by Sunstein long before him by Bertrand Russell. People are, are, are created to be egocentronic, encouraged to be egocentronic. They'll, they'll, they'll seek pleasure and, and avoid pain. And thinking about something that's unpleasant is painful, therefore they go along with the pleasant story. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's, their arrogance is their downfall because they say like, oh, well, I'm too smart, you know, they can never yeah. get that past me. Yeah. Or, you know, uh, you know, I know better, I know the truth, when you only know what they tell you and what they want you to know. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just such, I mean, it's really depressing. When I first, you know, found out what was really going on and, you know, the plan, I wanted to tell everybody but yeah. the blowback from it and the sense of, like, you're crazy, we know mm-hmm. better. Yeah. That That is just, it, it's so disheartening on a certain level. Well, as I say, it takes consent. It's far easier to look at the same familiar faces uh, a good part of your life, like Dan Rather and all these characters, uh, looking straight at the camera and telling you that's just how it is, that here's the truth, you know, and um, the public swallowing it because he's, he's an authority-type figure. And we're, we're, again, Sunsi would explain this, that we're, we are obedient to authority-type figures, where we know it or not, and, and they're in your, your, your home every night at 6 p.m. or 11 p.m., uh, supposedly telling you the truth, even though lawsuits went up to the Supreme Court in the United States with, with uh, companies that were supposed to do investigative journalism. Uh, they found out eventually they were into Monsanto and they were warned off uh, by Fox Television and Fox fired them eventually and they sued Fox. They went all the way to the Supreme Court and the judge ruled. It says, understand that there's nothing in law that says that the news must tell you the truth. There's nothing in You understand? So the, the people don't know that. They, they really believe that somehow this is an appendage to their thinking cap, this, this television, that's there to do the reasoning for them. And by the way, Brzezinski said that. Well, and it's, it, I mean, I was watching one show, I, uh, I, was, I think a couple of months ago, and they were talking about the side effects of a drug that was brought forth by GlaxoSmithKline. Mm-hmm. And then one of the commercials was for a drug made by GlaxoSmithKline. And I said to myself, there is no way... Mm-hmm. That this news company is going to report the truth of the, you know, Course how not. massive this drug is bad for you when they're getting paid yeah. by that drug company. And in fact, you understand too, the most of the programs you see on television news are, are decided, the formats are decided maybe six months in advance. And these are their fillers. Then they go and, and get in touch with the corporations and say, this is good for advertising. We're doing a, a, an article on so-and-so. We'd like to have your ads on. This, this is business. That's how they work. That's business. News is business. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's, nobody wants to accept the fact that they don't know the truth. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to accept the fact that they might not have the big picture. They might, you know, they don't, they want to just, you know, plug their ears and stomp their feet and close their eyes and say, my world is what I say it is. When yeah. it's, yeah. you know. That's right. The, the best experts, dominant. the best experts in the world have debated this on television for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. He knows better than I do, and I agree with him, so therefore he's right. That's right, yeah. So, well, I just wanted to tell you, keep up the good work, Alan. I really love your show. I hope it goes real well for you. Well, thanks for calling. I'm right. uh, going to Carlton in New York now. Is Carlton there? Uh, Mr. White, how you doing? Not too bad. Yeah. Um, um, just listening to the last call, I agree with what he was saying as far as, like, when you talk to people, they, like, they just want to stay in their, in their own safe little world. Mm-hmm. But I, I do tend to find, like, at my job mainly, that a lot of people are receptive to things that I've said, things that I've learned and mm-hmm. from you and read about. Um, but my question was, okay, with all of this going on right now, and I don't know if it's because, like, I'm I'm recognizing more because I'm into this type of information more, but it's a lot of revealing going on. Yeah. A lot of Christians will tell you you're living in the, in Revelation times. Now, yeah. I guess the question is slightly twofold. Um, because in, in some ways, I believe that they do leave opportunities for us to make a change. You know what I'm saying? Like with all this information, like they had to know when they let the internet go, mm-hmm. a lot of this information was going to get out and what the yeah. drawback would do to it. But sure. Yeah. My question is, was that part of the plan, and did they, well, of course, I'm pretty sure they did foresee the drawback, but, like, what ways do you think we can we can use to, like, at least take advantage of the, the slight opportunities that they have given us? And mm-hmm. I've heard you in previous talks speak about how, like, in in the mystery religions, they tend to write the beginning at the end and the end at the beginning. Yeah. And can you put that in context with Revelation, how how that's how how it is kind of sort of playing out right now as we speak. Yeah. What they did essentially was use the same technique they employed to bring in television. Uh, television came in as a very uh, innocuous uh, thing in the beginning. Uh, they gave you what they called uh, wholesome entertainment to begin with. And then they started to slip in over the years, uh, a little bit more degradation, a little bit more, and so on, until they changed society, and even the sexual revolution, uh, really could, uh, take, uh, the TV could take credit for that too. It created what was called the teenage revolution. Before the 60s, there was no such word as teenager. Uh, that was literally an invention of the 60s, and that was to separate the generations, a la Karl Marx again, into older folk and us, us who are in the cutting edge. And uh, that was very successful, too, uh, with children's programs, teenage programs, the beach party movies, that kind of stuff. So it worked very well. But it must always start off with something you're familiar with, which it did. The Internet was something similar, 
only this time because they already had society degraded, they actually played on the fact that there was so much porn restricted from the population, but they knew it was out there, so they made sure everyone knew there was porn. That's the only thing I heard for years, oh, there's porn on the Internet. And all the major media screamed about it to make sure that everybody would look in to see it, especially the children. But they also talked about the coming information wars back in the early 70s. And they said that a time will come, and Brzezinski touched on this in his book, it's a technology being given to the public, he said, which would change communication across the world. You can go in even earlier and find the writings of Marshall McLuhan, another professor who talked about this kind of Ethernet society where people would contact, they get so used to contacting people they'd never even see through the air, the airwaves that it would so drastically change society. So the Pentagon and all the big boys are way ahead in all of this, and therefore they had to get the people hooked on it first of all, which was easy easy enough to do, and eventually it would become um, basically their master. It, it, it just soaks up their time. They're on the net all the time. And they couldn't bring in a world society of spying on everyone without the computer and without everyone having a computer. Uh, because they wanted to really do a personality profile on everyone and make sure they could understand you perfectly, even better than you knew yourself. And they've done that too. So uh, it's been very, very good. And now that they've got to a stage where there are people speaking out and so on and making some kind of impact, they're starting to take those rights away step by step. They've already started in other countries. I've got an article here about even the programs you use for spyware, those same corporations are being used by your governments in Middle Eastern countries to censor their population. So don't forget that same stuff will be used on you as well. It's already used at certain sites I can't even get into now in Canada, and uh, it just comes up blank and can't find the page and so on. So we're already going through the censorship aspect. There's politicians in all countries now on cue all together at the same time coming out with new Internet laws. Uh, on right to speak. Sunstein is a big advocate of it too. He says that they must put out, everyone with a site, uh, talking about the New World Order, must give provision for alternative people to, 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 or a good part of their site or their show to folk who have differing opinions. In other words, professional agitators paid for by the guys like Sunstein and the groups that he belongs to. So uh, they will change it and that will definitely uh, go down the road. And they talked about this before they even gave us by the way, the Internet. So they knew how long they'd let us have it, and not long enough to get everyone stuck on it, hooked on it, and addicted to it even. And then when you start to draw it in, you would be left with mainstream news again, and but you still keep watching it because now you'd be accustomed to it and you couldn't do without it. So that that's really the technique they're using. Yeah. Basically like a glorified TV. Yes, uh-huh. much, much better really because now they can watch everything that you're watching as you're watching it and add that to your personality profile, which they admit they have. For everybody in America and Canada too, the Pentagon has a virtual you in a a supercomputer, and they add your daily data onto that personality, give it actual uh, fictitious uh, um, things that would go through in a day, problems to solve and so on, and the way that that virtual you will, will, will behave, they say, is the way that you will actually behave according to how they understand you. So they've already done this. I read their articles again. It's in my uh, cuttingthroughmedias.com in the old show section. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one quick question. Cause, I mean, I, you, you've been studying this, I guess, forever, because you're probably old enough to be well, at least my father. But um, 
Like, what? How is it? I, I don't know because I probably know like maybe like two percent of what you know, and I just look at things and it just makes me angry. I mean, I'm guessing because I'm I'm still kind of sort of like a baby to this, but like, how do you? How 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 have you stopped yourself from going crazy? <laughs> well, I always say this. When you've known it for a long time and you've you've read it and so on, you understand their techniques. Then you know not to get angry because that's what they want. Um, remember, every level is weaponized. There's even weaponization of of culture going right at those who think they're awake to to bring them down, to break them as well. Uh, knowing how you react, etc. So you have to realize this didn't just start in your lifetime. That's that's the beginning of it. It started before you were born. And the plan's very, very old. They worked on your parents the same as they worked on, on you. And each generation is upgraded into this new system more efficiently and further forward than the last one. It's a, a wonderful technique. Mind you, when you have all the cash in the world and think tanks working on this, thousands of them, you can't really fail. But what you have to do is to, is to learn to... Uh, remember, anger can be turned into a positive thing if you know how to put your thoughts down and writing or whatever and you can actually run and get angry when you're describing it to people you have to keep your cool and uh, and almost tease them into understanding by throwing things out at them so that they can uh, they're still familiar with what you're saying you're not coming on as aggressive uh, and they'll ask you the questions give them the teasers get them to ask you the questions and you don't overload them and, and leave it with them, and they'll come back to you for more information. So it's a matter of self-control and learning how to control yourself. Because I, I keep stressing this, you see, never mind the groups and all the rest of it, they're easily infiltrated. You're only, you can only be certain that you can control yourself. That's the only building material you have is your own building material yourself. And so you start on yourself, and you have to learn how to pr- promote your ideas across to that ordinary person without scaring them off or having conflict with them. But thanks for calling. Thank you. Uh, back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back, cutting through the Matrix, and we'll go to Brian from New York. Brian's there. I uh, actually not from New York, from Maryland, but anyways, um, I was just wondering what the connection is between the pro middle or the pro military cartoons in the middle of the 20th century and the growth and rise of the first person shooter games in the latter part of the 20th century and you know the explosion in the 21st century as well as like military strategy games and just kind of how that relates to the uh, Rand Corporation. Uh, thank you very much for what you do. Uh, I'll go ahead and get off here. Yeah. yeah the Rand Corporation, this, this private non-profit organization, by the way, that advises the, the U.S. government and other governments across the world and rakes in millions of dollars for being so wonderfully you know, beneficent, uh, did studies on behalf of, gov- of the U.S. government years ago. They got through the Cold War literally by feeding each one of us through a supercomputer again to, to find out what we thought and how we would react to certain things and so on. But they also wanted to raise a generation back in the 60s 
uh, for the present time. That's long-term business planning. Do you want a, an aggressive um, youth who, who basically have no power growing up? And so you bring them into the military and, the, and then you allow them to be aggressive and you give them the most debased culture you've given anyone before them. That was the idea of it. And giving them the video games, of course, to grow up with where they would become used to killing uh, with instinctively, very Pavlovian style. And um, that was all part of, of that training, really. That's what video games were given out for because they were developed by the military. There's some excellent sites out there now with the history of this, how to get folk to kill without thought, uh, just reaction. So that was all, all part of it. And they did do it through cartoons. There's even a, a one out now, apparently. It's, uh, it's straight from the military, developed for, for the military for killing uh, in action. It's very realistic, and they just announced they're giving it out to, to, the, to the youngsters in America. Because obviously they've got another 20 years of using you, at least in the military uh, fashion, uh, before they're finished with the states altogether. But meanwhile, they're also changing the, the states so drastically that 20 years' time, you wouldn't recognize them anyway. But uh, this is all part, as I say, of this um, hyper-aggressive society where especially the male has no real power. He's been, he's been depleted in, in, through comedy and movies as a, almost a second-class, almost a relevant citizen. Uh, even in the feminist um, sites, they say that a man today is just a sperm donor. That's all they are, and that's how they're treated, certainly, in comedies and in uh, movies and so on. So the only way they can, they can be manly, as they say, and be promoted as manly and get respect in society is with the uniform, and they're given the big guns that they've grown up with, where they've blasted all their frustrations away as youngsters, uh, the only way that they know how, uh, that's acceptable to do uh, in society. And then they're, they're put over to other countries to blow people away, and they have no problems about that at all. So that's really how it was done. But they found out in, in the American Civil War, I think it was only one in 15 or so, actually discharged their rifles on the battlefield. And um, in World War Two, something similar happened, and under Patton's command, they actually had a sur- surveys done, so special uh, troops were going in and observing the troops and to see if they were actually aiming high, missing their target on purpose, and finding ways to make them actually shoot and kill people. It's not normal, you see, to, to go from civilian society and, and where you're not allowed to kill folk. Uh, uh, it's against human nature to kill someone you don't know for no particular personal reason, so they've got to train you to do it, and that's really why the big business and the military-industrial complex the whole generation for this particular era to use them and that's what they're doing from Hamish myself from Ontario Canada it's good night and may your God or your gods go with you